Hi, Mom. <laughs> I wasn't part of the worship team, so. Oh, glad we're in good spirits this morning. Well, hey, we uh, have the privilege to just spend some time praying uh, for our people. I uh, just want to let you know of a couple individuals, uh, George and Sharon Kopp. Uh, George has had some health issues uh, this last week and is waiting for an appointment so we can be praying for him uh, to get that appointment for uh, some ongoing health issues. And then Sharon Kopp, who had surgery, is still recovering. Uh, it's going to be a long road. Um, she's a little bit able to uh, eat more than just clear liquids. So that's a praise there. Pray for Rich Benedict. Um, he still is having extreme back pain, going to physical therapy, and there's even some talk about uh, a further um, follow-up surgery for him, so be praying for him. He's not here this morning. Uh, Jack Zabawa has got some significant nerve pain and is waiting for some next steps, so we can pray for clarity, uh, wisdom for doctors as well. And then uh, the prayer guide that goes out on Fridays uh, has those updates and some other requests, so I would encourage you, um, if you don't get those, to go ahead and Go to our website on the homepage, scroll down and sign up for that. But let's join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come before you, uh, to make our requests known to you. Thank you for hearing us um, and even working on our behalf for your glory. Lord, we want to pray right now, especially for a couple of the needs that uh, have come up for George and Sharon. Lord, we pray for a scheduling with George and a follow-up for his doctor Uh, just with some health issues that came up this week. And uh, we thank you that uh, Sharon's uh, surgery went well. And we continue to pray for her recovery as she's uh, continuing to uh, gain strength. I just pray that you would uh, continue to heal her body and uh, give her comfort and uh, the ability to to rest. Lord, we pray for Rich, and we know that he's in extreme pain. We just pray that you would give him the grace uh, to go through that. Lord, we just pray that the temporary solutions would provide relief, uh, that you would be with him. Lord, be with the doctors, give them wisdom as they have to go uh, the route of another surgery, that you would just uh, prepare him for that. Be with Susan as uh, she cares and ministers for him. Lord, encourage him while he's not really able to get out uh, and to do his normal routine. Just pray that you would use your spirit in that way. Lord, we pray for Jack as he's got some significant nerve pain. There's something going on there. We just ask that you would give the doctors wisdom, uh, that the MRI that he has received would uh, just show that. So doctors will know how to treat that. Lord, we ask that you would uh, give him grace as he uh, endures that. Thank you that the uh, updose and medication has been providing some relief for him as well, Lord. And we just pray for the, the other needs that are out there. We think of Barb Angle and Eliana and just uh, the various people within our, our church family that, that need you, uh, that need you to interact uh, with them. And so we pray for them. Help Keep them uh, on our minds as we continue to serve and minister to our family in this way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, hey, we have the opportunity to continue uh, in our series, uh, What We're Calling The Light Has Dawned. Uh, And it's so good for you to be here uh, with us. And for those of you who have not uh, been here with us, we're in that series, The Light Has Dawned. And we're looking uh, at Isaiah's prophetic prophecy of the Messiah, uh, specifically looking at the different names that he's given to the Messiah and what those implications were for the nation of Israel then and what they are for his people, us as his people now. And so Pastor Mitch laid the contextual foundation for us two weeks ago. And then last week, Pastor Glenn gave us the first name, Wonderful Counselor. 
So this morning, we're going to continue in the second name, uh, Mighty God. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them uh, to the book of Isaiah. If you don't have a Bible or want to use a physical copy of one, there should be one underneath the chairs in front of you. And in that Bible, it's page 469. I always want to um, drive your attention to the Word of God, which is where we get uh, the truth as we, we study it. Uh, you don't come to hear me, you come to hear the Word of the Lord, and so we uh, encourage you to, to find that, to look, follow along, uh, and see the good truth for yourself. So as you're turning there, uh, maybe you guys remember the phrase, got milk. Anybody remember that? <laughs> right, got milk well, it was an ad campaign, an advertising initiative used to promote the health and benefits of drinking milk, encouraging people to do that more and more to support you know, America's dairy farmer, and they used famous people sporting their famous milk mustache. And so I'm not famous, so I didn't show you a picture. I don't have a milk mustache this morning, thankfully, but I will show you a picture of one of my famous people supporting hers, <laughs> right? So got milk. <laughs> uh, but maybe some of you uh, are lactose intolerant, so you don't drink milk, or maybe you do almond milk or goat milk or almond milk or oat milk, goat milk, paper milk berry milk, whatever kind of milk you have. Um, but regardless of that, uh, the question, we can all agree and we can relate to this one, got problems, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I got problems, and Pastor Scott, you're one of them, right? <laughs> Hopefully you won't say that, though. No. But we all got problems. And so the reality is that all of us have problems. We have physical problems, sickness, chronic pain, health some of us have financial problems, we've got debt, we're living paycheck to paycheck, there's not enough money for fill in the blank. And we all have this one, inflation, right? Inflation problems. Some of us have emotional problems. We're struggling with depression or anxiety, worry, fear, control issues, anger, bitterness. Some of us have job problems. We don't like our jobs. They're too demanding. The work hours are crazy. The coworkers, the environment. Some of us have marriage problems, conflict with our spouse, struggling to connect, arguments, communication, and all God's married people said, amen, right? Maybe we're facing abandonment. Maybe we're single and we're longing to be married. Some of us have kid problems. They're disobedient. They're out of control. They may be wayward. Some of us have people problems, including frustration, bitterness, betrayal, always thinking the worst of someone. And some of us have addiction problems, and that's prescription drugs, alcohol, marijuana, pornography, gambling, food. You left me here at the era of cookie decorating and the eve of the Christmas caroling with over 479 cookies in the kitchen. <laughs> and I was the only one here since I never encountered a temptation that I couldn't resist, I had some. And they were good, you know, of course, if we're going to give them out to our neighbors, they better be good cookies. But we all have problems, and the reality is that we have the temptation to think that we can handle our problems without God. We think we can handle it. We try to come up with new solutions or theories or whatever we can think of. Maybe we just think that eventually they'll all go away take two Advil and wake up in the morning. Maybe we get ignored or distracted by something else. Maybe we just choose to run away. Maybe we think others will handle it. My spouse will fix it. My parents will fix it. My boss will fix it. Let me tell my pastor. They'll fix my problems. But whatever we tend to do doesn't seem to cut it. 
In most cases, sometimes we even make it worse. So do you know why we think we can handle our problems without God? Spend some time pondering that this week. And I think we have the temptation to handle our problems without God because we don't think of him as mighty. When someone asks you about God's character, what do you think about? Maybe your first thought is about his love or his faithfulness or his kindness, his patience, his sovereignty. But when was the last time you said or you heard someone talk about God's might, the mightiness of God? And I think we tend to gravitate as human beings towards the aspect of God's character that we value and that applies to us in the moment. Maybe when we're really in a good season looking, uh, following the Lord, we might focus on God's holiness. Be holy for I am holy. Check, thank you Lord for your holiness evidenced in my life. Maybe when we struggle, we're getting bogged down by sin, we might gravitate towards his grace or his forgiveness or his steadfast love. When God works all things out for our good, we gravitate towards his sovereignty and his ability to control everything. But what about his mightiness? What about his power? What about his ability to destroy his enemies? We don't tend to gravitate towards God's mightiness, I think, because we don't have enemies and we're not culturally in an environment where we have the fear of foreign nations trying to invade us. But even if we don't regularly think about God's mightiness, it doesn't mean that it doesn't apply, that God still isn't mighty. So our text this morning is going to show us that Jesus Christ is the mighty God who saved his people from their sins, from their ultimate problem. And by God's grace, I hope this will encourage us with this truth to give us hope, to give us light in the darkness that is around us and that we're facing. So let's read God's word together. I'll be starting in chapter 8, verse 19, uh, and you can follow along uh, in your copy of the scripture. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instructions and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressor. 
Every warrior boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And here's our passage that we've already read this morning. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the light that it brings in the darkness. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus that he is the mighty God, the promised Messiah that has come and has delivered his people from their sins. Lord, I ask that you would use your spirit and your word this morning to teach us this wonderful truth, to empower us to live in light of it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, so like Glenn, I have two points for you. Number one, mighty. Number two, God. So we're going to start with mighty. Mighty. Mighty means having or showing great authority and power or military leadership. Let me read that again. Having or showing great power in authority or military leadership. This Messiah that Isaiah prophesies will have the authority and the military leadership to defeat his enemies, to lead his people perfectly to victory. No one will be able to defeat him and his purposes. He is the one that will bring salvation and ultimate defeat of sin and death. Look at Isaiah chapter 8, verses 21 through 22. There's this deep darkness and gloom. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they're famished, they will become enraged. Looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. It's almost like Isaiah was here in 2023 and turned on CNN and just kind of described to us what was going on. I don't know if you feel that way, but there's just darkness and evil and gloom in the world. But something happens in verse 9, chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, or despite, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. What happens? And we see the rest of the passage A light has dawned. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Comparing that to when people defeat the the enemy and and take the the plunder. He's referencing the mighty God's ability to defeat this enemy, this gloom and this darkness. And he uses the example in the days of Midian. So for as in the day of Midian, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. He defeats it. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. The story of Midian goes back to to Gideon, or God raised up the judge. And what's interesting about uh, that is that the the, uh, Midianite army was like over 145,000 soldiers. And Gideon rallies uh, the troops uh, throughout the tribe and brings them down. And and maybe you're not familiar with the story, but what happens was he starts with this really large number and God whittles it down. And then he takes that number and then God whittles that down even further. So they're left with 300 
men versus an army of over 140-some thousand people. Not too good of an odds, right? But God says later in that book, what he does is he decreases the army so that Israel, so that the army of 300, so Gideon, so all the nation would know that it was God who defeated the Midian so that they wouldn't get proud, so they wouldn't think that they had anything to do with that defeat. And do you know what Gideon and his 300 men went into battle with? Not swords, not spears, not chariots, a torch, a trumpet, and some clay pots. That'll do it. No wonder, no wonder God's like, hey, Gideon, if you need a sign that it's going to be okay, go down into the camp. It's like torch, trumpet, clay pot. Okay? And he does that to further show. And then God, you know, they break, they break the pots and they show the light and they shout and blow the trumpets. And then God causes confusion and just the Midianites slaughter each other. That's the mighty God. That's the, the military uh, leader and authority and the power that defeats its enemies. And so Isaiah, no doubt, is saying, hey, remember the mighty God that defeated Midian. Well, it's the same mighty God. And they would have heard that word and would have thought about a military ruler and leader and authority and power, like the, the five-star general, Green Beret, war-seasoned, just just ultimate risk player. That's what they would have thought, right? Isaiah uses this other word, mighty God together combo in Isaiah 10. So one chapter over, if you turn to chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. So the king of, uh, of Israel, Ahaz, makes a treaty with Assyria, and he goes because they're facing war and facing pressure. And so he makes a treaty with Assyria, and then they come up and Assyria uh, destroys the, uh, the northern tribes, northern kingdom, and then Babylon all comes down, and, and God is, is talking to them. And Isaiah says in verse 10, chapter 10, verse 20, he says, In the day that the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, referring to the king of Assyria, because Ahaz got, was in cahoots with him. They will return um, and rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 21, a remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God, the one who is destroying their enemies. Though your people be like the sand of the sea in Israel, only a remnant will return. The Lord Almighty will carry this out, the destruction decreed upon the land. And so he's saying the mighty God is the one who will defeat his enemies and you will return back to him after your exile. It's also used one other time in Daniel chapter 11, uh, verse 3, referring to Alexander the Great and his ability to defeat uh, the Medes and the Persians. So Alexander is quoted as the great and ancient Macedonian ruler and one of history's greatest military minds, who as king of Macedonia and Persia established the largest empire the ancient world has ever seen. So this is idea of this, this one that is a brilliant authority and leader and capable, capable of carrying things out. And then it's also used in a broader sense of mighty warriors and champions and victors throughout, throughout the Bible. 
So the nation of Israel would have heard this description and would have thought immediately of this military force and authority. And in fact, most of them missed Jesus entirely because they were looking for that one that would uh, provide them um, freedom from Roman oppression. They got part of it right, but they didn't get the whole thing. They're still looking, they're still waiting for that Messiah, that military ruler to come and conquer their enemies and to rule and to reign. So how does this apply to us? I mean, we're not facing foreign invasion. We may not be oppressed from a foreign physical nation, but we sure are oppressed by a spiritual one. In fact, the problems that we face are spiritual. Sure, there are physical um, outworkings of that, physical agents, but they come with within. They come from the heart. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your evil desires? You have not because you ask not. You wage war because you want to get those. The Bible also tells us that we're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God in light of that. First Peter talks about this way when our study in First Peter, be alert and of sober mind for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a, a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. So we too need one who is mighty, who has the power and the authority to defeat our spiritual enemy. Jesus is not just our mighty God, but our second point, but God. He's not just mighty, he's God. God, number two, means the supernatural being who originated and rules over the universe. This would be the object of ancient Israelite worship. God's referred to as the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the one who upholds everything by the power of his word, the God of Israel, the one whom... Israel is commanded to worship. Isaiah uses this name to refer to the Messiah to show the uniqueness since he will be not just fully God, not just a God, but the one true and living God whom they worship. This word L is generally used to refer to God for God's lowercase, but always refers to the God, Yahweh when there's a qualifier with it, like mighty, mighty God. Again, going back to the story of Midian. From the days of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders. The story of Gideon is actually the story of God defeating the Midianite army. And again, like I said before, the reason God whittled them down is so he would show them that the mighty God would do that. Sometimes we can get into the habit of dealing with our problems and we can think we can fight them or defeat them or we actually somewhat assume the role of God in the situation. Like, I can handle this. I can take this over. We've been trying to schedule some doctor's appointments and we've had a doctor's appointment scheduled and took, off, took my day off work so I could go uh, to it. And we get called and it's like, hey, your appointment's been canceled by your provider. You guys can't relate to that, I don't think. Maybe it's just me. Like, oh, okay, so we rescheduled you for this date. Oh, thanks for letting me know. 
Then they call again. Hey, by the way, your new appointment's been scheduled by your provider. Here, we have a new appointment for you. And we're like driving around like, oh, sorry you took off work. Trying to organize schedules, throwing a baby in there. I'm like, what are we going to do? Ah. So I'm like, I'll, I'll know what I'll do. I'll call up Geisinger. I'll storm right in there and say, I want an appointment on this day. Give me my appointment because I'm the only person that you have to provide for. Nah. So it's like, okay. And I was studying this. I'm like, let's just pray. Let's just pray. So we pray. And Haley gets a call and says, hey, we remembered that you said your husband took off work on December 13th. We just let you know we rescheduled your appointment for the 13th in Wilkes-Barre. Like, oh, okay, great. You know, they, they actually went, maybe they read their notes, but God in such a way orchestrated that they remembered the day why we took off and then they rescheduled the appointment on that day. And they didn't even have a phone call from me. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, what about this? Maybe you're, you're trying to fix somebody. Maybe you can see the glaring problem that they have that's causing you that. And so you try to fix them by getting them head on. You just go and say, hey, this is what you're doing wrong, blah, 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 blah. That typically doesn't go well, especially if it's your spouse, right? But what if, if we did, we just took the time to pray and just allowed God to work, allowed God to intervene? Because often, like I said, when we try to deal with our problems, we assume that, hey, we're the all-powerful, mighty God, and we actually have the power and the authority to accomplish this. It's like a, 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 a Pomeranian thinking it's a Doberman. Right? When in reality, we're like this little dog, but we think we're this big dog. Right? Or maybe we think we're this amazing uh, Superman that we can do anything versus the mighty God. But in reality, we're a powerless man versus the, the strength and the might of a powerful God. So in those moments, we need to entrust our situation, our problems, our challenges to the one who actually is the greatest, who is the mightiest. I can't think of the greatest example of Jesus as the mighty God than the cross. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 tells the story of the paralyzed man, and if you're around church for a while, uh, his four friends take this paralyzed man and they build this contraption and they carry him to go see Jesus because they believe, they have faith that Jesus can heal this man. And so they go and they look and they get into the the crowd or the house and it's jam-packed. They're like, what are we going to do? We can't get a mat through here. Like, they don't have handicap aisles. We can't get through here. So like, okay, one of the guys, it's a guy, obviously, because he has a brilliant idea. Well, let's go through the roof. Let's, let's knock down the roof. Let's bring down the house and lower him to Jesus. And so you're in this house, and Jesus is talking. Maybe you're at the side wall. Maybe you're like right in front in the middle. Like you've got front row seat to Jesus. And all of a sudden, you're like, what's going on here? And you start, there's some, it's like, man, they need to clean. And then all of a sudden, there's like a light shines through, and you're like, what? And there's this hole starts to emerge from the roof of this house. And you see four guys lowering this man who can't walk. Probably, most likely, everybody in that house has seen that man. And they lower him down right in front of Jesus. 
And Jesus, the master teacher that he is, uses the example and the illustration to heal him. Now, he's interacting. There's some Pharisees there. Verse 8 of Mark chapter 2 says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And and they're thinking this, verse 6. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, again, internally, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can, for, who can forgive sins but who? God alone. So he knows what they're thinking. And he says this, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or get up and take up your mat and go home? Which would be easier if you're standing there for Jesus to say? Your sins are forgiven, right? Why? Why? Because it's a spiritual thing. So we don't know. We wouldn't, have any physic, we wouldn't have any indicator that it happened. So you could just say, your sins are forgiven. But this is what Jesus says. And remember, remember the, the mightiness is the great power in authority to defeat its enemies. This is what Jesus says. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, which is what Jesus was calling himself, has the what? authority to, on earth to forgive sins. And he said to this man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And what happened? The man, maybe his legs become strong. He maybe wiggles his toes. He literally gets up from the ground, picks up his mat, says, hey, excuse me, excuse me, and makes his way through the crowd. And if you're standing there, you're like, what just happened? This man healed the man that we know to be paralyzed. And why he did it, why we have record that the man got up and walked to go home, so that we know Jesus has the authority to forgive his sins, which would have been the, the harder spiritually problem. Because no one can forgive sins but God alone. And this Jesus, this promised Messiah that Isaiah has talked about, came as a baby. We celebrate it at this time of the year. The manger is a representation. He grew up. He lived a perfect life so that he could be our perfect substitute. He endured the cross He paid for our sins, was buried, and he rose again, and on the third day proved that he conquered both sin and death. The greatest example of victory the mighty God performed is not the battle of Midian. It's not even healing the lamed man. It's not giving sight to the blind. The greatest example of victory that the mighty God did was he hung on the cross and he took our sins upon himself. He took the wrath of God in our place and he died. He paid for our sin. And then three days later, he rose again, proving, physically proving the spiritual reality, the spiritual defeat that no longer sin and death reign, but that he does. 
And that is the gospel. The gospel is that the mighty God has defeated our greatest enemy, sin, death, and the devil, and he did it at the cross. What a mighty God. 1 Corinthians 15 starts verses 1 through 5, I believe it is, talking about the gospel, that Jesus did this according to the scriptures. And verse 55 and 58 says this, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin in the law. Verse 57, But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let no physical challenge or problem move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Because he, thanks be to God, that he gives us victory victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, our mighty God and his victory, he doesn't just hoard all of the the plunder. He gives it out to his people. We benefit from Christ's victory. Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15 says this, since the children have flesh and blood, he too also shared in that humanity. That's talking about Jesus's incarnation. It's talking about the child was born his humanity. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of sin and death, that is, the devil, and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. God did that. He came as a baby, lived a perfect and sinless life, died in our place for our sins, satisfying God's righteous demand that our sin needed. And he rose again, proving he conquered death. So when we find ourselves in overwhelming problems, whether they're our own or the effects of someone else, when we're tempted to handle them on our own, we must remember that Jesus is the mighty God and the greatest demonstration of his divine might is the cross. And that his counsel is wonderful. And that he has the might, the ability, the authority, the power to vanquish his enemies. And he has on the cross. So for those of you who may not know this mighty God, who has the authority and the power to forgive your sins and who has forgiven your sins, who has solved your ultimate problem. In fact, you can do nothing about your problems. You are dead in your trespasses and sins and your righteousness, the Bible says, Isaiah actually says, is like filthy rags. It's like trying to clean up a mess when your hands are still dirty. I want to encourage you to stop living in the darkness. Have your gloom be able to be turned to joy. Turn to faith in Jesus. Repent of your sinful ways and follow the mighty God who has made the way for you. For those of us who do know Jesus, we need to remember and have hope that no matter what the problem or difficulty that we face, that our ultimate problem of sin and death has been defeated. 
Now, again, I don't want to minimize the troubles and the trials that we go through. But in love, I want to tell you that in compared to the consequence and the wages of sin, that you can't compare it. They're, they're too different. And if God, the mighty God who defeated the ultimate problem, the ultimate spiritual problem, the ultimate problem that all other physical problems come through, if he can do that, can't he do and defeat whatever problems that you're going through? It's, it's a greater to lesser than argument. If God did the greater, he can most certainly do the lesser. Romans says that God who gave his son, he gave his son, will not only get, won't he give us all good things? If he's given us his son, that's the ultimate. How much more can he handle those problems although, although we go through them and they are, are, are difficult? They're not as ultimate as our sin problem. So when we get in those situations and we find ourselves going through life, struggling with sin, we've got marriage problems, financial problems, you know, people problems, all these problems. The light is that our deepest problem has already been solved. And that gives us hope to endure. Some of you, God's plan for you may be to go through life and we go through that. the life of the Christian is, is to suffer and to face the consequences of the general sin of, of health and, and all that stuff, but to know and to look forward to the hope that we have. And we also have the opportunity and the privilege and the command to share that hope, to share the light. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are the light of the world, and we are in a dark world, are we not? Right? We have the light. And if you come here for Christmas Eve, that's going to be represented when we turn off all the lights and light the candles. And this place literally goes up in flames with light because that is who we are. That is the effects of the mighty God that has solved our deepest problems. So we no longer walk in darkness. But the light of Christ shines on us and we are his ambassadors. And we're in and, and like the nation of Israel, too, we have hope in Christ's second coming, where indeed he doesn't come as a humble baby born to defeat sin, but he comes in all of his might, and he reigns on David's throne and rules with righteousness and justice and defeats all of his enemies. And when he comes again, we have the hope that he will do that. Revelation 17, 13 through 4, talks about the enemies and, and the devil and all of that. They say they have one purpose and will give their power to the authority to the beast and they will wage war against the lamb and by the lamb will triumph over them. And but the lamb, excuse me, will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings and he will be with his called, chosen, and faithful followers. We serve a mighty God. We see his might on the cross. The battle has already been won. The victory is ours through Jesus, the Messiah. So we need to remember and to focus that and to look through our problems and see the encouragement 
that comes that Christ defeated our ultimate problem and gives us hope and gives us light as we walk in this dark world. John, who Isaiah uses as the forerunner of Jesus, Isaiah actually prophesies about him. And Mark, if you turn back a page, if you're still in Mark, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, verse one, chapter 1, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judea countryside has come out. And you get down to verse 7. And if we're really not clear that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that Isaiah prophesied, I think this will help us out. Verse 7. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Matthew's accounts, he says, who has the authority to, def- to forgive sins. That is our mighty God. That is the one we serve. So again, we may and we will encounter problems on all sides. We've got problems. But we also have the mighty God, Jesus Christ, who saved his people from their ultimate problem, their sin. And so as we think about that, when our problems seem to overwhelm us, put us in darkness, put us in gloom, focusing on Jesus as the mighty God who's defeated sin can give us great encouragement. And that mighty God said that he will never leave us or forsake us. He gave his Holy Spirit to be there for us. So when you go through these problems, you're not going through them alone. You're going through them with the mighty God, Jesus Christ, who knew what it was like to be tempted in every way, yet without sin. You can go to him. He's your high priest. He empathizes with you. And you can entrust yourself to him and watch him work in the situations you find yourself in. Watch like the people in the house. Watch for the light to shine through the darkness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the mighty God, Jesus Christ. Thank you that Isaiah prophesied about him, that the nation of Israel would have seen this Messiah and would have thought of his might and his power and his ability to defeat the enemies, knowing that they would turn back to him, to the mighty God. And Lord, thank you that we now live on this side of the cross, that we live with the full picture of Scripture, that we know that Jesus is that child who was born, who is your son that was given, who is the wonderful counselor. Help us to heed his counsel, who is the mighty God. Help us to entrust what we're going through to him, who's everlasting father, the prince of peace. Lord, use your word, the light to dawn, in our hearts, in our lives, and in this world. In Jesus' precious name, amen.